values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. There is a famous, we call it in the business, a drop. There is a famous drop of the voice of Dan Bickley that was used over and over again in radio that whenever somebody's name was mentioned, it would just say, who? And <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Who? You remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah, I remember and, that. And that was back in the old days. It made me laugh every time it was used. Dan Bickley joins us. We have a new head coach in Jonathan Gannon, and there are some people that are saying, who? Who? Yeah. Yeah, they are. That's so, a good point. But you do know who he is. I, can you break this down, okay. good or bad? Um, well, that's a complicated question. I don't know if we can declare it one or the other right now because if if I were to make a checklist going into this offseason um, as somebody who was the fiercest critic of Cliff Kingsbury, uh, the f- validated critic of Cliff Kingsbury, <laughs> I might add, um, as somebody who was that, I, I had a checklist of what I thought was really important in the next head coach. Uh, Alpha male, strong leader, the ability to captivate a room, the uh, the ability to lead men, and then more importantly, the ability to hold football players accountable. I wanted somebody with experience, somebody who's done the job before, somebody who could get this quarterback, this Kyler Murray dude, and get him right and be able to say, listen, you're not entitled anymore. Those days are over. I'm the head coach. You're the quarterback. You are going to do what I say, not vice versa. This is not your program. This is our program, and you're the quarterback, and you're going to do what we say. So I wanted these things to be addressed. Jonathan Gannon um, is going to be the third consecutive rookie head coach hired by the Arizona Cardinals. That's a red flag. The fact that he wants to bring in a 35-year-old, allegedly, reportedly, 35-year-old offensive coordinator who has never done the job before, that is a red flag. We've done all this kind of stuff before, and we've not gotten the results. The difference is with Jonathan Gannon, the best I can tell is that for what he lacks in experience and, and what he lacks in on his resume is he's got the it factor. He's got the personality, the leadership gene that Cliff Kingsbury was so sorely missing. And if he's got that, then then I believe this can work. Uh, just because Jonathan Gannon is young and inexperienced doesn't mean he won't be a great hire. It, it, it only means that the Cardinals are trying the same kind of methodology that they've tried before and and not gotten any results with. And that, again, is the working definition of insanity. Here's what I'm going to say um, at the end of this, because I, I, I've been trying to really reconcile what I've seen with Michael Bidwell and this football team from last year's Super Bowl. Not the one that just concluded, the one in Los Angeles, because it's been one issue, one dysfunction after another with this football team. The extensions he gave to Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime didn't make sense to me then. They don't make sense now and they've shaken the faith of a lot of Cardinal fans. So I'm going to say this. When this season ended, Michael Bidwill said, okay, yep, Cliff Kingsbury isn't working. He's out of here. So not only do you have to eat that contract, you're basically saying, I messed that up. My bad, that's my fault. That's a big step in my book. You get points for that. He went outside to hire a new general manager, didn't promote from within, a recognition that we need to bring a new culture in here. He gets point f- points for that, too. So two hires that preceded Jonathan Gannon confirmed to me that at least Michael Bidwell's looking in the right space. At least he's seeing things the way I think 
they need to be seen. So, but two things have happened in this offseason. Uh, one of them is Sean Payton went to the Denver Broncos, and there was a famous quote, Terry Bradshaw, who worked with Payton in, as a broadcaster, said he didn't want to go to Arizona and work with the quarterback. The other one was they had Brian Flores as a candidate for the head coach, who before that came to fruition, went and became a coordinator again instead of waiting for a head coaching job. Was that because they knew Gannon was going to be the guy, or was that because Flores didn't want to come no, to Arizona? And, and there was uh, there was one more too, and that would have been Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys, who who by um, a, a lot of reports was the Cardinals' number one choice. He went back to be defensive coordinator. I think you're asking a, a very poignant question here, and I think there's a lot of factors. I think it's it's the uh, the owner is very hands on in Arizona. That's not unusual in the NFL, but it's still um, a deterrent to some, especially if you're uh, a head coach who said the old guy had to watch film with the owner on a Tuesday night. What well, I ain't doing that. Okay, so there's that. But I think the Kyler Murray piece is very real. I, I think people look at his injury and they look at his real stilted development and his size and his lack of toughness and and they might go, I went in with that guy. You know football. You've coached football. Most football coaches I know, they believe they're conceded to the point where they know they think that they can fix anybody. So I see. I still see a lot of good in Kyler Murray. So Me too. I, I would be surprised if a football coach didn't go, okay, there's bad, but there's a lot of work and stuff to work with here. So I'm going to take a shot with this guy because this guy's going to make me famous. I, I think there's a lot of reasons here, Mike. I think the, the job wasn't that appealing to a lot of people. I think the market bore that out. I think at the end of the day, Cardinals didn't have a lot of candidates out there. Um, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing a groundswell from people that this was the Cardinals guy all along. Don't believe that, folks. Please. That's propaganda. Because Jonathan Gannon was on the field in Philadelphia two weeks ago on camera telling the Philadelphia audience, oh, I'm coming back. Whether you love me or hate me, I'm going no place. Jonathan Gannon wasn't on anybody's radar screen. So the idea that he was the guy all along, that's, that's, that's spin is what that is. He might work. And I think we should all give him time to prove us otherwise, but it would be very disingenuous to not go, there's some question marks here as well. All right, so as Dan Bickley writes about the Cardinals next year as the season goes on, in your mind, what is successful for the Cardinals season one? What's Mm -hmm. successful? Uh, To me, I think there is no rebuilding anymore in football or in sports in general. I think being a playoff team has got to be the benchmark for this team. Now, it's again, it's going to be difficult because we don't know when Kyler Murray is going to get back, but Kyler Murray was at the facility yesterday working out, which is a good sign, which means he's not in Texas working out, which means maybe he's kind of realizing and growing up a little bit here as to what the real responsibilities of the job happen to be. Playoffs, Mike, that's the bottom line. If you don't make the playoffs next year, season's not a success. Um, I'm Again, you are more entrenched in this than I am, but I look at Kyler Murray and my um, criticism is the same criticism I had of Matt Leiner. Two different people, but guys that have all the skill set in the world, have all the talent in the world, but they don't seem to buy in like a Joe Burrow or a Josh Allen. Different types of quarterbacks, but bought in, sold out to being absolutely the best. Am I right or wrong? No, you're right about that. And I think in the case of Kyler Murray, I think Kyler Murray's never had to do the work. He's never had to put in uh, the intellectual energy to learn the position. He has always been so – he's always been such an athletic unicorn 
that he, he he's never had to. So so again, this is why this is why I'm a little more patient with Kyler Murray than a lot of people happen to be. And there's some stuff about him I don't dig, but but I think he's been very sheltered. I think his father's been a very domineering figure in his life, and I don't think he's ever really thought I've got to do the same thing that other players do. You're right on the money because the the, the best quarterbacks are the ones who come to the NFL and go, wow, I don't know anything. I've got to relearn this stuff. I've got to put in the time. I have got to make this a full-time, 365-year-a-day job. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Look what that guy Josh Allen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how he has improved so dramatically because he just said, I'm going to be the best I can be, and this is going to be my life. Exactly, and that, and so and you've got to have that because it, you it, a football team needs that guy to rally around because the quarterback, like it or not, is going to set the example. And if you've got a situation where a, a team, an organization, a head coach, they're making excuses for a quarterback, it opens the door for everybody else to slack. Well, if you guys want to read a great piece, and I, I know I've said this to you in the hallways, but if you want to read a great piece about Kyler Murray, Dan Bickley wrote one about every specific things he could learn from every quarterback from Championship Sunday. Four quarterbacks, four things to learn. I thought it was one of the most insightful things I've ever read. It's over on Arizona Sports. Thank and you, man. That was great. And, Dan, thanks for coming Appreciate around. Appreciate you, Mike. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here, and a big thank you to Dan Bickley over at Arizona Sports. Always a great conversation. It's big news here in the Valley. We've got a lot of big things changing here with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I'm a season ticket holder. I'm a big Cardinals fan. I have been since I came to Arizona. I, I didn't bring a pro sports team with me. I'm always going to be a Miami Hurricane, but other than that, I'm a homer for the teams, along with what the changes at the Phoenix Suns and KD in the building last night. Sports are a big news story here in the Valley, and I love that part of it. Um, but we've got to get back to some of the consumer stuff that's happening. Consumers spending was up in January. Um, and a lot of these indicators, I think, are going to be leading toward an increase. Again, my opinion, I'm not giving financial advice, but um, we are going to see an increase in interest rates again. The Dow is down today. The NASDAQ is down. The S&P is down. Not huge, huge numbers, but down. And so we are still seeing, even though if you think about what we've seen, inflation is down year over year, 6.4%, still higher than we want, but down year over year. Up a half a percentage point from last month, which is not good, but it is down a little bit year over year. And then you couple that with spending numbers that are better than expected. You would think most people would guess Wall Street would rebound. NASDAQ is actually up about 11 points. Uh, Other than that, the other two, the S&P and the Dow are down. Um, you would think that that would be an indicator of some sort of success to the to the average person, to the to the superficial lay person out there. But what we are seeing is the experts that I'm talking to are saying, well, listen, there's a lot of credit card debt out there. A lot of that spending was on credit. It was not people spending their discretionary income. It was going into debt to do it. We have seen used car prices go down, new car prices go up. But if you look at the areas of increase year over year, month over month, we are seeing big numbers. Well, the year-over-year numbers, used cars have fallen because during the time when the chip manufacturing was at a standstill and we were having such supply chain issues because so much of our chips, so many of our chips for everything we manufacture was made in Taiwan and China that we were trying to fix that and remedy that here in the U.S., 
that what we are now seeing is uh, now that the supply chain issues have eased, the prices of those new vehicles or used vehicles have gone down because they're not as in high demand because we have new vehicles on the lot. New vehicles have gone up. But heating oil has gone up higher than anything else, more dramatically than anything else year over year. We are still seeing the necessities that people have, their needs are are a lot more expensive than the average of 6.4%. That's what's concerning a lot of people, including me. Um, I... In my head, and I, I, I promise you, you don't want to be in my head, but in my head, it is it is never really – it's not about politics. I don't sit down and say, what is Biden screwed up today? Let's see if we can go after the Democrats because I'm a Republican. I look at things like everybody else does. How does this affect me? How does this affect my girls? You know, I'm in a different position now than my girls. My girls are now the ones that are in the prime of their life, raising children as single mothers and trying to do the right thing and 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 struggling with the necessities like everyone else. I think about them. You know, I think about the, the families out there and I say, OK, how is this affecting someone? For me, I live alone. And so a dozen eggs being a lot more expensive than they were before, um, it's an inconvenience to me. It makes me upset. Or maybe I won't buy any because I won't eat them. But you got kids. You got that. I think of things that way. So I look at the policies that I disagree with. And yes, I, I go right back like everybody else and say, you know what? That's just part of the you're not doing it right. But the failed policies, the idea that. A, a, a large segment, if not the majority of Americans, believe that raising taxes right now on anybody is a good idea. That's the part of it that gets me. It shocks me, actually. We as uh, citizens are supposed to be suspicious of the government. And that suspicion is supposed to be not only about how much do you need, but what are you doing with it when you get it? And we don't do this in any other aspect of our life. You wouldn't do it with the money you invest with an investor, even if it was your 401k through work. But if you have somebody specifically you invest money with, um, if they were losing you money or they couldn't account for the money of yours that you had given them, you would you'd stop. You would go somewhere else. And uh, this is the stuff that I, I've been uh, asking about more than anything else. And I try to do it as an American. And what I mean by that is – Our federal government is wasting a lot of our money. And so you can uh, tax rich people and your excuses or your reasoning can be they can afford it. They don't need all that money. And you're right. In many of those ways, they can't afford it and they don't need it. And, you know, if you've got a billionaire and you take $200 million from a, from a billion, you still have $800 million. You're still doing okay. But in principle, why would we be taxing any Americans? Why are we raising taxes? Why are we raising the the minimum uh, corporate income tax? Because they always say it's about the corporations that aren't paying their fair share. But what about those small businesses that are struggling with supply issues, that are still struggling with how much it costs for the necessities to put fuel in the vehicles they put on the road, to keep up with the pay demand? Because we've seen that here in Arizona, the pay demand is still very high. You're, you're talking about small businesses that are just struggling, and yet now if they struggle through and they somehow make a profit, tax time is right around the corner. Most of those businesses pay quarterly. But when you look at a small business, and I I talk about restaurants a lot because I'm fascinated by them. 
But they're dealing with these food costs and what the necessities have gone up, what eggs have done, what everything else has done. It's hard to keep a staff. It's more expensive to keep people. Electricity has gone up. The price of gas has gone up. So it is much more expensive in that industry. Now you couple that with people that have watched inflation take the necessities from them. So how much can you raise your prices to make up for those losses and still keep your customers coming? Because at some point, a customer is going to say, I can't afford that. Not only can I not afford that, I'm not paying that kind of money for that. And and uh, the government needs to get out of the way is my basic principle. Let small business owners do what they do best. Employ people, pay people, keep people happy, do their job, pay their taxes, build America. I don't think the government builds America. I think citizens do. Workers do. Small business owners, big business owners, they are the lifeblood. In a moment, uh, the question, how did the Michigan State shooter get a gun? It's a great question when you hear about his criminal history and where he should have been instead of on that campus. We'll give you details coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A uh, presidential candidate has jumped into the race, a second Republican, and Nikki Haley. She is the uh, was the governor of uh, South Carolina, I think, two, 2011 um, is when she started her run as governor in South Carolina. And uh, she made an announcement. Let's hear a little bit of what she had to say. We are already jumping into it. It is only February of 2023. We've got almost two years years to go, but here's what Nikki Haley had to say about jumping into this race. And so I have an announcement to make. I stand before you as the daughter of immigrants, as the proud wife of a combat veteran, and as the mom of two amazing children. I've served as governor of the great state of South Carolina. And as America's ambassador to the United Nations. And above all else, I'm a grateful American citizen who knows our best days are yet to come if we unite and fight to save our country. I have devoted my life to this fight, and I'm just getting started. For a strong America, for a proud America, I am running for president of the United States. So that is the announcement by Nikki Haley. Interesting thing about this is she was the U.N. ambassador under Donald Trump. So former President Trump has gone pretty heavy after uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida and making claims that DeSantis, DeSantis would not have won without him. He made him um, recently. Didn't he call him Meatball Ron or something recently? That was the latest name uh, we are seeing. Is this is this a defection? Are these people that were um uh, is the former president correct? If not for Donald Trump, would Ron DeSantis not be where he is? And I will tell you, I have a little bit of insight having family and friends that still live in Florida. I still keep very close in very close touch. And many of the people that I know love Ron DeSantis in Florida and what he's done. And... um I don't know what that says about his presidential run, but the, you now have uh, someone that is in 
as a candidate by official announcement. That's Nikki Haley. And another one, a potential candidate, some people that are saying that is the favorite if he decides to run in the sitting governor in Florida and Ron DeSantis. And they both are connected in some way to Donald Trump. Does this divide the Republican Party in a primary that can't be unified in a general election? Is this the Republican Party saying we need a new direction? Uh, these are all questions that people are going to be asking for the next two years. But I want you to hear a little bit more of what Governor Haley has to say about her vision. This is her vision for schools. When I look to the future, I see America strong once more. We'll end inflation and build an economy that works for all, just like we did in South Carolina. In the America I see, every child gets a world-class education because every parent gets to pick their child's school. And no politician will be able to close those schools ever again. So now there is a gauntlet being thrown down. I will tell you that just like and I'm going to be fair, the people on the left see the NRA as a a lobby that has control of Republicans because of the dollars. Now, whether you call it accurate or not, that's the perception is that the NRA, the Republicans want to do something about guns, but they won't because they they work at the behest at the pleasure of the NRA and its strong lobby. There is no stronger lobby in favor of the Democrats across this country than the school unions, the NEA and the AFT, and the huge amounts of money they donate to those campaigns. If Nikki Haley is going to run and her announcement has to do with schools and is school choice oriented, she is going to have an uphill battle because they will try to ruin her from the very beginning. I'm not saying she's wrong. I think she's 100% right. I think that there should be less federal control of school dollars and locally schools should handle how they educate their kids. That's just my personal feeling because we have a hard enough time here in Arizona. I want you to think about the diversity of need and the diversity of issues in school districts just in Arizona. Do you think that the same problems that are faced in northern Arizona, in the White Mountains, in towns like Springerville or Sholo or Taylor, um, if you if you look at Heber or Overgard in those areas, do you think the issues that their kids face in getting a good quality education are the same as Scottsdale and uh, Chandler and Mesa? Do you think that Scottsdale Unified School District and uh, the school districts that serve South Phoenix and the elementary school districts there, the high school districts, do you think their issues are close to the same? The answer is they are not. And that's the diversity just in Arizona. Never mind that what Connecticut faces is not what Arizona faces, is not what New Mexico faces or Wyoming or anything else. And so I, I just think that this this breaking of the mold in schools is important. And I think you're going to hear a lot of it from a lot of the Republican candidates. But Nikki Haley pretty boldly makes that statement. Now she goes to another topic. She talks about policing and immigration. In the America I see, police know we have their backs. And criminals know we have their number. And our states will be safe again. In the America I see, we stop the surge of drugs and illegal immigration. That means having a real border and mandatory E-Verify like we got done in South Carolina. So here we have, um, I think, a basic model 
and an outline for what you are going to start hearing from Republican candidates and in, in, in having your finger on the pulse of what America is upset about. We, when she talks about schools, quality education for everyone, that every parent should be able to choose their child's school. There's been a big shift since COVID-19 and online learning and what people perceive about public education. Perception has changed dramatically about the traditional way we educate our kids. When you hear about the failings of the policies, this is not a border state issue anymore. You've got a Democrat governor um, in, in, in one area of the country. You've got a Democrat mayor in New York City. you got the mayor of New York City not only going after the Biden administration and saying this is your problem. He's busing people to Canada, not even to, to other parts of the country, to a different country. Canada is telling him to knock it off. You are seeing a framework that I think a lot of other Republicans are going to follow in their candidacy moving forward. And as the economy continues this year to struggle, possibly, you're going to see them talking about inflation. That's one of the things she mentioned about reducing inflation and building the economy. So we're seeing, I think, a basic framework of what the candidates will do, whether or not she becomes a very strong candidate. It's possible that she does, but we'll see. It was just very interesting. In a moment. We're going to talk about the Michigan State shooter. How did he obtain a gun and where should he have been instead of on that campus? All that's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Michigan State University has attention back on mass shootings. We've talked about now the number of mass shootings and how many there have been already this year. Um, I want you to hear a little bit about the victims first. This is Alex Perez from ABC News. We're learning more about the three MSU students killed, Junior Ariel Diamond Anderson, whose family says she loved children and wanted to be a pediatrician. Sophomore Brian Frazier, who was president of his fraternity, and junior Alexandria Werner, described as an athlete who exemplified kindness. And I think the focus uh, should be on the people whose lives were lost. Um, but now I want you to hear a little bit from where the argument now automatically goes. Um, let's start with Karine Jean-Pierre from the White House. During a lengthy active shooting situation, they feared for their lives. They will carry that experience with them through the years ahead. And as the president says, uh, said today is enough, enough. So let's hear. This is what the president said about this. While we gather more information, there's one thing we do know to be true. We have to do something to stop gun violence ripping apart our communities. We do. We have to do something to stop this from happening. The president has called for banning assault weapons after this Michigan State shooting. The guy used a pistol. Now, I'm not. It's just, again, it's just jumping off, leaping off of one thing to fix a problem that isn't a part of this problem is not the issue. Uh, the Biden administration sends over $200 million to the states for a gun crackdown. The funds were approved under the 2022 Safer Communities Act. Um, let's address this. I'm going to read this again. I read it this morning earlier. Anthony McRae, who is the shooter, who took his own life was charged in June of 2019 with illegally carrying a concealed handgun without a permit. He later had those charges dismissed by the office of the county district attorney. Her office instead let McRae plead to a lesser misdemeanor charge, and he served little more than a year on probation. Initially, he faced up to five years in prison for the felony. 
Now, she retired from her office after judges and law enforcement complained that her policy shift within her office on prosecuting gun crimes. We're talking about gun crimes specifically. She said there's a disparity. They reconsider her felony firearm charging policy does not hold people and property uh, people people properly criminally accountable and increases the likelihood of additional gun violence. She said sentencing enhancements led to dramatic racial inequities and that not in any way were linked to the goal we share in keeping our public streets safe. I would say to you again, this is about failed policy. This is about failed leadership. Now you can. I, there was an argument that I was having on social media earlier, and I want to. And I'm again. I'm just going to echo that this is the mindset of some people. If they didn't have the guns, this wouldn't have happened. Okay. The what ifism. What is more likely, honestly, that we're going to have no guns in our society, or if this guy was in prison where he belonged, he couldn't have committed this crime. Maybe he would have learned his lesson about carrying a gun illegally. Now, in Arizona, he, what he was doing wasn't illegal. In Arizona, if you legally own a handgun, you can conceal it without a permit. I will tell you that before that law changed, I had a concealed carry permit, which I maintain. I still have one. Because there's reciprocity with other states, it shows a level of proficiency in knowing what the laws and the rules are. It's about your responsibilities as a firearms owner. So I have one. I maintain the license. But I did the law-abiding thing. This guy didn't. And he was not punished for committing a gun crime. He committed a felony in the state of Michigan, and a district attorney who was weak on crime— Slapped him on the wrist and let him go. So you can argue if he didn't have the gun, this would have never happened. Well, if he had been in prison where he belonged, he wouldn't have been on the street. He wouldn't have or maybe if he had already been released from prison, he would have learned carrying a gun illegally and he would have been a convicted felon, which would have meant the red flags would have gone up in trying to obtain a gun unless he got one by illegal means. We have laws on the books that are not enforced properly. We have laws on the books. We have a system in place that is um, is not up to date. And I'll tell you, I want these things to end as badly as anyone else does. But the idea that you are automatic – first of all, a style of gun is somehow the problem. It's like saying the, 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 the style of a vehicle, the, if a vehicle that goes extra fast is more dangerous than a vehicle that doesn't. That a car like a McLaren is more dangerous on the road than someone that's, that's driving an old beat-up Pinto. Or you know, uh, my mom drove around in a, like a 1980 Gremlin or something, 76 Gremlin, um, that somehow – no, the wrong person behind the wheel of a car. There's a video online today. It's a newer video that someone intentionally ran over an older woman. It was an inten- the video is horrifying. Um, it's the person behind the wheel. It's the person with their finger on the trigger. It's the person that that's wielding the hammer. As I said earlier uh, to somebody on social media, um, a hammer builds homes. But if swung by the wrong person, it murders people. We have to stop focusing on the weapon and the tools that are used and focus on prosecuting people that break laws. There are some people that need to be punished with prison. That doesn't mean no no one is irredeemable. It does mean that people have to pay a price. And that's just not happening here. It's frustrating to me, too. 
But how this argument automatically goes to the disappearance of guns and that solves our violence problem isn't paying attention to the rest of the world. All right, coming up just after 11 o'clock, um, no student in 55 Chicago schools can read or perform math skills. We'll talk about it next.